Good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? Hey, you guys look pretty good. I don't care what Pastor Matt says about you. <laughs> Some of you got that. No, it's, uh, my name is Daniel Norris. I am the, have the privilege of serving as the campus pastor over at our Longview campus. And man, I'm excited to be here with you guys today as we continue in our series, Life in the Arena. This is week three. And so today is a special Sunday. Today, as you heard Pastor Matt say, uh, is a baptism Sunday. That means we've already seen a few at 8 o'clock get baptized, several at 9.30, and then there are some in this hour that are scheduled to be baptized. And so here's what I want us to do, church family. I know a lot of times when we come to church, we, we come and we sing songs, and then we hear the worship pastor pray, and then we hear a guy, a pastor, stand up on stage and preach, and then at the end of the message, he may lead us in a prayer and a response time. But I want to do something a little bit different this morning. The way I want to start this off is this morning, I want to ask each and every one of you right now to start praying. And I don't mean you have to start praying out loud. Um, we don't want to get crazy or anything like that in here, right? But here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to pray right now and continue to pray throughout the whole service this morning um, that God would just speak to your heart, that he would just speak to you. And here's what I want you to do is when he speaks... I want you to listen, and I want you to do whatever he says do. I want you to say, God, speak to me, speak to my heart through your word, through your Holy Spirit, and whatever he says to you, just say yes. I want your answer just to be yes. Yes, Lord, I will obey. I'll do whatever you're asking me to do. Because at the end of the day, it's what it's really all about is simple obedience. See, simple obedience has the power to completely alter and change the course of our life if we'll just listen and obey and do the things that God is calling us to do. And so can you guys pray that? God, speak to me, speak to my heart, and whatever you say, Lord, my answer is yes. So this morning we're continuing in our series, Life in the Arena. If you remember two weeks ago, we kicked this thing off and we were in Daniel chapter 3 and we were talking about this fiery furnace and we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were thrown into the fiery furnace because of their obedience. Their obedience meant that they had to stand in defiance to the commands and the law that the king had given, which was that they were to bow down and worship him. And they said, not us. We're not going to bow and obey to you or anyone else. We serve God and God alone. Then last week, you, you, if you were here, you heard Pastor Matt preach in the book of Daniel again. But this time we were looking at the book, we were looking at Daniel himself and how his defiance in his worship, 80 years of faithfully worshiping the Lord God, and in 80 years old, his obedience in worship led him to defy the king and was thrown into a den of lions. Well, this morning, this week, we're not going to be in the Old Testament, Daniel. We're going to be all the way in the New Testament. So we're going to be camping out in Acts chapter 4. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and start making your way to Acts chapter 4. We're looking at these two guys, two of Jesus' closest disciples named Peter and John. And Peter and John in Acts 4 find themselves arrested and standing before the council of death. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into it, and I'm going to give you a little bit of um, just context before we get into Acts chapter 4. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. Father, thank you for what you've already done this morning. God, I pray as we open up your word that you would give us the eyes to see it, that you would give us the, the ears to hear when you speak, and that you would give us the hearts that fall in love and understand you more for who you are and what you have done. God, help us to be obedient. God, help us to live lives of great obedience. That are willing, of Let us be people that are willing to do whatever it takes. God, we ask for all this in your son's precious and holy name and all of God's people say, Amen. So Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Let me just remind you what's going on in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, you see the resurrected Christ. He was crucified, remember? He was buried, laid in a tomb, and then on the third day, we celebrated that a few, days ago, a few weeks ago in Easter, he rose again, conquering death, sin, death, the grave, all in one. So now Jesus has resurrected. He's spent the last 40 days appearing to the disciples 
hanging out, sharing meals with them, revealing himself to over 500, says eyewitnesses. So over 500 people have seen him. And now in Acts 1, there's this moment where Jesus is standing before them. He's about to ascend to the Father. And he says, hey, I'm going back to the Father. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to wait. And I'm going to send a helper and he's going to come and be in you, not just with you, but in you. And he's going to reveal things to you and help you walk in truth and righteousness. Jump into Acts 2. They go and they gather and they wait in this room and they begin to pray. The Spirit falls. They begin to speak in other native languages and tongues, meaning there were a lot of other people in that region and area that spoke a different language. And these people, baptized by the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, were able to preach the gospel in other languages so that other people could hear. And we know that Peter stands up and then preaches a message in that moment where 3,000 people respond to the gospel and give their life to Jesus. And then immediately it says that they were baptized. So it says in Acts 2 that they were cut to the heart and they looked at Peter and they said, man, what must we do then in order to be saved? And Peter says, repent, turn from the life that you are living, turn from your sins and return and run to Jesus and then be baptized. And it says that 3,000 people repented, gave their hearts and their lives to Jesus and followed him in baptism. Peter then leaves that moment, walks with John to the temple in Acts 3, as they walk into the temple, they see this lame man lying by the gate. And the lame man looks at Peter and John and says, hey, can you help me out here? And Peter says, look at us. Does it look like we have anything to offer you? We don't have anything to give you, but what I do have, I'm going to give you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And little old lame Larry stands up it says that his ankles and his legs were strengthened in that moment and that he not only just stood but it says that he leaped up and that he began running around doing what I call a couple holy ghost laps jumping around screaming hooping and hollering right there at the church at the temple letting everybody know and then he says he follows Peter and John into the temple into Solomon's colonnade and there are thousands of people in the temple worshiping God, and they all see lame Larry walk in, jumping and praising God, and their jaws hit the floor. And it says, in that moment, they're all standing there, so there's probably this holy hush that fell over the crowd, and they're all looking at Peter and John and Larry that's leaning on them like this. And the crowd is going, man, it says in Acts 3 that they stood with wonder and amazement at what they saw. They're wondering, what just happened? Everybody say, what had happened was, <laughs> what had happened was is that John, Peter and John said, I don't have anything to give you, but I'm going to give you the, the very best thing I got, and I'm going to give you Jesus. And he says, stand up in the name of the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth and walk. That's where we're picking up the story in Acts 4. Peter and John are in the temple. These people's jaws have hit the floor. They're looking at Larry and they're wondering, how is he standing? And Peter says, why are y'all standing there looking confused? Why do you think that Larry is walking because of our power or our strength or our might? It's not because of Peter or John. Peter says, it is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you guys crucified. Remember him? You nailed him to a tree about 40 days ago. It is in his name and by his power that this man stands before you. And in that moment, it says that 5,000 men give their life to Christ. So do the math there. Acts 2 Peter preaches fire, 3,000 people saved, just men. In the temple, Peter preaches Christ resurrected, this guy healed, 5,000 men are healed. So 3,000 and 5,000, that's 8,000 men, not counting their wives and their kids. I would say the church is exploding, wouldn't you? Just like that in a couple of days. Acts 4, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. Y'all don't know anything about getting annoyed, do you? Y'all ever get greatly annoyed at some people? 
my wife and kids are going, yeah, yeah, you do. I get, you know, I get annoyed uh, a lot of times, even at myself. But these guys are greatly annoyed, and it says because they were, they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them. They put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So listen, Peter and John are in jail, but they're, they're really in jail, not because they just healed the man, but because they were preaching that he was healed by and through faith in the name of a resurrected and living Jesus. Don't miss this. It says right there in verse one, it says that these, verse starting in verse two, says that these men were greatly annoyed. These men were greatly annoyed because they thought they had nailed this problem to a cross 40 days before this. They thought they had, they had stuck this problem in a tomb. They thought they were done with this issue. They thought they were done with this nuisance. And now here Peter and John are, two of Jesus' Jesus's closest disciples, and they're preaching that Jesus Christ is resurrected and alive. And so these men are furious. They're thinking to themselves, these two ragtag, uneducated nobodies have the audacity to walk into our temple and start telling everybody that Jesus is resurrected and that this man has now been healed because Jesus is alive. You ever seen anybody when their face starts to change colors? They're so annoyed and angry and furious that they're, you can just see their blood pressure number coming up. Anybody like that in this room? Their ears change different colors of red. You, you might even see it happen up here sometimes if I start getting a little carried away and yelling and preaching a little bit. The blood pressure goes up. It's not pretty, right? That's these guys in this moment. They are so annoyed. They are so frustrated. I love it because I'm sure their heads were about to explode. They wanted to shut these guys up and possibly even kill them if they could. Look what it says in verse 5 through 6. It says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, don't miss these names, with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander. If those names sound familiar, it's because they are. If you've read the story where Jesus was on trial, these guys were there. So listen, that's why we're calling this sermon today the Council of Death. Because these men, Annas, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, these were the men that Jesus stood before, and these men are the ones who sent Jesus to the cross. These men that Peter and John are now standing before, they, Peter and John know that these men have the power to condemn them to die. So what are they going to do? What would a lot of us do? If we found ourselves facing the council of death, they arrest you, they bring you out, they go, hey, listen, we heard what you were saying yesterday, you need to shut it. Because if you don't, it's not going to be good for you. Let's see what they do. Verse 7, it says, And when they had set them in their midst, so when they brought Peter and John out and they put them before them, this they, this council, inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? In other words, by whose authority did you heal this guy? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed. In other words, if we're on trial for doing good, for helping this guy out and for healing him, and you really want to know, I'm going to tell you. And here's what Peter says. He says, let it be known, verse 10, to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you well. This Jesus, he is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, 
which has now become the cornerstone. In other words, you rejected him, you had him killed, but God raised him and has made him the cornerstone on which his new temple, the church, is being built. And just to make things perfectly clear, don't miss this, verse 12, Peter goes on and says, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Man, can you say fearless? I mean, think about it. Put yourself in that situation. These are the very men that had Christ crucified. Peter and John, they spent the night in jail and they're probably thinking this is how it's going to go down. We saw what happened to Jesus. They falsely accused him, had a, a false, illegal trial. They accused him of blasphemy, and they nailed him to a cross. They would rather set a murderer free and nail the author of life to a tree. What are they going to do to us? I'm sure in that moment, Peter was going back thinking, I remember Jesus telling us, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. If they're, they're going to kill me, what do you think they're going to do to you? I'm sure in this moment, Peter and John prayed all night going, Jesus, we'll see you tomorrow. It's going down, but I'm not, I'm not wavering. I'm not moving. So this council, let me finish that. Verse 13 says, now when they saw the, listen to this, the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. In other words, blue-collar blue collar country boys. Out in West Texas, we'd say, yeah, just a couple roughnecks over there, right? That's what, y'all don't know anything about that in Gilmer, do you? A little, some country boys? These educated, religious, elite guys here, these Sadducees and the captain of the temple are going, Man, who are these uneducated, common men. But it says something powerful. It says that they perceived that they had, they were astonished and they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do you think anyone, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself just as much as anyone today, so don't think I'm up here and I got it all figured out because I don't. In fact, I'm just going to be honest with you today. The things I'm about to talk about, I kind of stink at it. I'll keep it at stink because there's little ones in here. Um, as a pastor, I've been deeply convicted this week going, man, I don't do that very well. I want to. I don't know why I don't. So I'm just going ahead and laying that out there. I'm letting you see my hand. I don't have it all figured out and I don't get it right. I usually get it wrong more than I get it right. That being said, can anyone look at your life, my life, and go, man, that dude's been with Jesus. Something about him, the way that he walks, the way that he talks, the way that he treats people, the way that he loves people, that's not normal. Do they see any kind of boldness or courage in me where they go, that only comes from Jesus? So this council, they go and they have their little private meeting, this little powwow. And they talk about Peter and John and they're, they're, they have this dilemma on their hands that they're facing. In one hand, they want to shut these guys up. They want to stop them from preaching Christ crucified and resurrected. And on the other hand, they can't deny this miracle because lame Larry's standing over there going, you see these things? They didn't work, and now they do, right? And it was only by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that I'm standing before you. And 5,000 witnesses saw it. And so this council's going, man, if we deny the miracle, these people are going to, riot they're going to uproar they're going to go you guys are crazy you're lying look at him he's right there so they're they're torn and in this moment they've got a decision to make just a side note the sadducees the the captain of the temple these men this council listen 
these religious leaders, they, they witnessed the miracle, they heard the message, and they still didn't believe. Why is that? Let me ask you this. There may be somebody in this room and you feel like you need to see a miracle in order for you to believe. So you're not much different than those men. Like you've heard the message, you've seen God do great things, and you're still going, eh, I don't know if I believe it or not. Let me ask you this morning, what are you waiting on? Like, I know you're, some people are thinking, because I've talked to people like this, you're waiting on God to part the waters. You're waiting on fire to fall from heaven. You're waiting on bread to fall from heaven. You're waiting on all these miracles and you're going, ah, I'm just waiting on God to show me, to prove to me that he's real. And you just, you're missing it. There's miracles all around you. The fact that you woke up this morning and are breathing and that everything in your body is working the way it's supposed to, I'd say that's a pretty big miracle, right? The fact that you made it here safely with a bunch of these people out here in Gilmer on the highway, that's probably a pretty good miracle, right? Um, don't wait any longer. You have everything that you need all of the miracles, all of the messages, all of the truth right here. It's called by faith. You receive what God is, has for you, what he's done for you. So what do Peter and John in this moment do? Look at verse 17 through 21. It says, but in order that it may, not, that it may spread no further, this is the, the council talking, among the people, let us, let's warn them. You guys speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called Peter and John and they called them in and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard and when they had further threatened them, in other words, I'm sure the council said, listen, you guys better keep your mouth shut or you're going to end up like your rabbi. If you don't shut your mouth, if you keep preaching the gospel, if you keep saying that Jesus is alive, we're going to hang you on a cross as well. So it says that they further threatened them and then they let them go, finding no way to punish them. They wanted to, though. Because of the people, for all of those people, remember 5,000 people were praising God for what had happened. This is awesome. I mean, this is this moment. These guys come back from their meeting. They tell Peter and John, you guys better stop preaching the gospel. Don't preach Jesus anymore. And if you do, there's going to be some serious consequences. And in this moment, Peter and John probably look at each other and go, hmm, obey man. Or defy man and obey God. I think we'll obey God. In that moment, they choose to obey God. And here's what they said. Because we cannot help but tell people of what we have seen and heard. In this moment, Peter and John understood that their obedience meant defiance. They courageously stood in this arena without fear. This is bold. In fact, it says that the authorities even recognized how bold it was. Look at verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness, what did they see? The boldness of Peter and John. They were astonished. What caused this. What caused Peter and John to be so bold, so confident, so 
full of courage. Because let me remind you, this courage, this confidence that Peter and John now have, that they are now walking in, this was not their normal or natural response. Let me take you back and remind you. I mean, there's moments throughout the store, the New Testament, through the Gospels, where you see Peter kind of get it right, but then immediately fumble just right after that. Let me remind you, like, there's this moment where Pete, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, hey, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And Peter, uh, he's standing there, and all the other disciples are giving different answers. Some, answers. Some say you're John the Baptist, and John had been beheaded, so you're like the ghost of John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Remember, Elijah has been gone for a long time. Some say you're a new prophet. So they're all giving these different answers about what the people are saying. And then in this moment, Peter says, no, 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 you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, man, that's it, Peter, you got it. But this was not revealed to you by man. This was revealed to you by God, right? And then just the next sentence is like Jesus says, hey, get away from me, Satan. Your plans are not lining up with God's plans. So if you get it right and then Jesus calls you Satan, I would say you fumbled, right? You, you're not there yet. So this is Peter. He, he's, he's kind of always back and forth. He's a lot like us. He's pretty wishy-washy at times. He's usually not uh, strong and courageous and confident. If you remember the moment Jesus is being arrested, Jesus looks at Peter. They're having this conversation. Peter says, no, no, Lord, that, that over my dead body, I, I will die for you before I let anyone take in. Jesus goes, really, Peter? Like, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tonight. Peter's like, there's no way. Deny, deny, deny. In fact, Peter is not confident and courageous. Peter denies even knowing Jesus to a little schoolgirl. I mean, how, how, how weak and pathetic is that, right? Peter looks at this servant girl and goes, I don't even know him. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not one of his disciples. And then immediate, he, immediately he was filled with such grief and such sorrow that he had felt like he just betrayed and denied Jesus. How do these guys go from being cowards to courageous? How do they go from denying to declaring? How do they go from cowering in the corner to now standing in the arena? What is it that happened in Peter and John's life to make them so bold and so confident and so courageous that they were able to stand and look death in the eye and say, not this time, let me tell you who Jesus is. What happened from being Peter that denies Jesus to a little girl to now standing and looking at death in the eye and going, he is the resurrected Christ and he is alive. Kill me if you want to. How can we now live with that same kind of confidence and courage every single day? I don't know about you, but I want it. I want to. I want to give you three reasons that they stood in the arena with courage. And listen, as you write these down, these are more than just theological truths that I'm giving you. These are the very power of the Christian life. First one, if you're taking notes, is this. Peter and John were able to stand with confidence and courage and boldness because they now had the hope of the resurrection. You see, the hope of the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection is at the very center of their message. It should be at the very center of our lives and our message as believers as well. Peter's message to the council was anchored in the risen Christ. Look what he says in verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that by him, this man is standing before you well. You see, Peter and John had experienced the hope of the resurrection, and it completely changed them. Listen what they say back in verse 15. He says, and you, when he's preaching in the temple after the man's been healed, he looks at the people of, in, in the temple, the people of Israel, and he says, listen, you guys killed the author of life, 
whom God has now raised from the dead. And to this, we are witnesses. What's he saying there? In other words, he's saying, listen, you killed him. God resurrected him. We saw him. We ate with him. We spoke with him. We touched him. We put our hands in his wounds. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is alive. No one has stolen his body. He resurrected. He rolled the stone and he walked out of that tomb on his own. And this completely changed everything for Peter and John because they saw Jesus resurrected. They shared a meal with him. They hung out with him. They knew that death no longer had a final say. That's why in other places, like Paul will say, listen, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I can't lose. That's why Paul says, man, where are you, O death? Where is your sting? You, death has now lost its sting. It has been defeated because Jesus Christ is resurrected and fully alive. I have nothing to fear moving forward. I'm a different person. The hope of the resurrection has changed everything about me. It should change everything about you and me, New Beginnings. It should change everything about us as the people of God. We should see the world in a different way. We should see every arena, every circumstance, every person, every situation that we walk into. We should now see it through the lens of the hope of the resurrection going, man, I can't lose. No matter what people say about me, no matter what they do to me, no matter what this person thinks of me, no matter what, even if I'm facing death, it cannot defeat me because I now have the hope of the resurrection in me. Amen. You can't lose. I'm sure Peter and John, just imagine, I'm sure in this moment, they're looking at them, at each other going, they thought they killed Jesus, and that didn't work out for them so well. So Jesus raised himself from the dead. If they kill us, he'll raise us as well. Let them do whatever they want, but we're not going to be quiet. Let me just remind you, if you're in this room and you're a little bit of a skeptic here, I know sometimes when I've talked to people and shared my faith with them, they want to go, yeah, you know, I'm not really sure I believe in the resurrection. I still kind of line them over here thinking maybe if somebody stole the body, somebody hid it, it's still somewhere in an unmarked tomb and we're we're not sure. Let me remind you that 11 out of the 12 disciples died a martyr's death because they would not stop talking about Christ resurrected. You see... These guys believed it with everything that they were. They'd experienced the hope of the resurrection and it changed them. Do you think that 11 guys would allow someone to kill them, that they would all die for a lie? No. In fact, you get to the end of Peter's life and he's more confident than ever. And he says, hey, if you're going to crucify me and kill me, and I'm not even fit to be killed like my king. Hang me upside down. Man, talk about boldness and courage. You see, when we place our hope in the resurrection, it gives us the courage to face whatever comes our way because Jesus has defeated the greatest enemy called death. And now we live from that position of victory. Let me remind you what Jesus himself said in John 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let me ask you, church, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And if you've placed your faith and trust in him, that even though you will die someday, you will live. If you don't, you don't have to leave here today uncertain of that. You see, if you have experienced the hope of the resurrection, it will change everything about you. The second thing that we see with Peter and John is this. The reason they could stand with such courage and such confidence and such boldness in the face of death is because they had experienced the hope of the resurrection, but now they also had the presence of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in Acts 4 verse 8. Then Peter, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. You see, this boldness that we, that we see in Peter is an overflow of the Spirit of God that is in him. And this power and presence of God in him, it is the very power and presence of God in him. Listen, it's, it's not that in this moment when he's standing before the temple that Peter is now receiving salvation, that he's receiving the Spirit for the first time. We know that's not true because he received the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. He was baptized in the Spirit. God sent his Spirit to dwell in the people right then and there in Acts chapter 2. And see, the way that you and I now receive the Holy Spirit is on the moment of salvation. It says the moment that you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And that means that in that moment, the second you surrender your life to Christ, that he gives you his spirit and he puts his spirit in you. You now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This language that we see here, this is, this is Peter not being saved, but this is Peter now being filled with a fresh power. Say fresh power. You see, Peter received a fresh power. I don't know about you, but I sure do want a fresh power in my life. I sure do want the Spirit of God to fill me up and stir in my life. So the Holy Spirit in this moment stirs inside of Peter and empowers him to speak boldly and courageously. Jesus actually told Peter and John and the other disciples that this very thing would happen before it happened. In Luke 12, starting in verse 11, it says this, and this is Jesus talking, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus is saying, listen, you don't need to use rehearsed words, use revealed words. In that moment, when you need it, listen, you don't have to fear. The Holy Spirit will be with you and he will give you the strength to stand and the words to say. And now in Acts 4, Peter and John are experiencing that very Thing. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14. He says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Believers, listen, look at me. You need to hear this today. If you are in Christ then the Holy Spirit is in you. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So listen, when you walk in the Spirit and you trust in Him as your source of strength, He will give you a fresh power. He will stir. He will move. He will give you divine words to say when facing any opposition, even like this moment for Peter and John. He will also give you strength and awareness to seize any opportunity that he puts in front of you. And listen, don't miss this. The greatest indicator that you or I are walking in the fullness of the Spirit is that you will courageously and passionately tell others about Jesus. I mean, this is the very thing that he promised that we would do in Acts chapter 1. Listen to it. Verse 8 says this. He says, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Not just power for yourselves, not just power to get through the day, but power to be my what? Witnesses. Power to be my Witnesses, this is the power. This power is the courage to stand up and be bold witnesses for Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit is our source of power. But he doesn't just enable us, but he actually causes us to be his witnesses. Let me, let me kind of illustrate that for a moment. There have been many times in my life, and I, maybe some of you in this room can, uh, can relate to this, there have been moments in my life where I've walked into a location, a store, a, a room, a certain circumstance or situation, and I, and I got to be honest, I had no intentions of sharing the gospel with anyone there. Just being honest. I could, but I, I'm not. I didn't. 
And somehow I walk out of there going, what just happened? I didn't plan that. I wasn't going in there going, okay, God, help me do this. Make me do this. Like, but the Holy Spirit in that moment stirred and then actually caused me to seize the moment, to seize the opportunity. And I found myself sharing the gospel with someone. And I walked away scratching my head, kind of dumbfounded, going, that was strange. That wasn't my plan. I love it. That's awesome. But that wasn't what I planned on doing when I walked into the grocery store today. The lady bagging my groceries, for some reason, broke down and asked me to pray for her, so I did. And then followed me to my car, and then I had the opportunity to share my faith. Now listen, again, those moments, sadly, are few and far between, and they're rare, but they shouldn't be. I know you're probably looking at me going, aren't you a pastor? Shouldn't you do that all the time? And I would say to you, shouldn't you? Because there's no difference in me and you. We all have the same hope of the resurrection. We all have the same presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so therefore, we should all be witnesses sharing our faith because that's what Jesus said would happen in Acts chapter 1. The last thing is this, the certainty of the gospel. You see, Peter and John now have this courage, this confidence, this boldness to stand firm in their faith because they have the hope of the resurrection, they have the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they have the absolute certainty of the gospel. Listen to this bold declaration, this fire that Peter preaches that comes out of his mouth, and I'm sure he walked away going, man, how did that just happen? What? I don't even know where those words came from, but listen, here's what he says in verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, Peter in this moment is filled with the Spirit. He seizes the moment and he absolutely erupts with this unapologetic proclamation of the gospel. Peter says, listen, Jesus died He's been raised from the dead. There is no salvation for anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, apart from Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way that you will be saved. Peter boldly proclaims this. Peter and John are fearless because, listen, they understood that they were, what they were speaking was absolute truth that there was no other truth, that there was no other way. They are more certain of the gospel than anything else in their life in this moment. They valued the gospel more than their very lives in this moment. And so they boldly proclaim the gospel. They have this absolute certainty about them because they know that the gospel is the truth. They knew it was more valuable, more important than anything else in their life. So let me ask you, New Beginnings, are you? Are you certain of the gospel? Do you have the hope of the resurrection? Do you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? In other words, have you been born again? And are you certain that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that He came, that He lived a life you couldn't live, that He then took all of your sins upon Himself and He allowed Himself to be brutally beaten and then crucified and nailed to a tree, shedding every ounce of His blood for the remission of your sins so that you could be forgiven once and for all. And so that sin that used to separate you from God would no longer separate you because Jesus has now paid the price in full so that you and I could now stand in a right relationship with him. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved? If not, man, don't let another second go by. I'm just going to, share with you this, listen, if you don't have the cert, if you're not certain about the gospel and you don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit, then you're not born again and therefore you don't have the hope of the resurrection. 
So what does that mean? That means that if you leave this place today and if for some unknown reason your life were to come to an end, because it's, it's going to happen for all of us, right? I mean, we see it all the time. But if something were to happen to you and you were to step into eternity, you're going to live forever in one of two places. The Bible makes that very clear. You're going to live, live either in heaven or in hell. And that's just the truth. And so if you're here today and you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Lord, don't leave here today without being absolutely certain of that. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. And when I pray, there's going to be some decision encouragers up here. And that you're going to have the opportunity to respond they would love to talk with you. They would love to pray with you. They would love to hear how God is stirring, how God is moving, how God has saved you. And so if you're here today and as they, they make their way down front, you're going to be able to come down and pray with them. But for some of you in this room, you're, you're scheduled for baptism. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and you can stand right now. You can start making your way out because we're going we're gonna to get crazy in here in a few minutes and we're going to celebrate with you what God has already done and that now you are going public with your faith through believer's baptism. Listen, church family, as they're standing, as they're making their way out, I want you to hear this. Listen, what you confidently believe, you will passionately proclaim. Let me say that again. What you confidently believe, you will passionately proclaim. We do this all the time, do we not? We talk about all these meaningless things. We talk about our favorite restaurants. We talk about our favorite clothing store. We talk about our favorite sports team. We talk about our favorite athletes. We talk about our hobbies. We'll talk about all of these things with anybody who's willing to stop and listen. We'll proclaim a lot of things, but there are really a lot of meaningless things that we waste our time with. But yet we don't proclaim Christ. You see, you will passionately proclaim the things that you believe most in. You will confidently proclaim those things with great passion. So why do we not proclaim Christ more often? Some of you are here today and listen. I know because I used to be in your chair. God saved me at 23 and I came to church. I was a life group leader. I started serving in the youth ministry. I started preaching and teaching in the student ministry. And God had saved me at 23. And for five years, I made every excuse under the sun of why I could not go up and get baptized. I wrestled with it. I, I, like the girl at 930 said, it kept me awake at night. And I thought to myself, what will people say? What will people think? If I go down front, if I go get baptized, they're going to think I wasn't saved. You know what? Who cares? Who cares? I don't care what people think. Do you think Peter and John gave a rip about what those guys thought? They boldly proclaimed Christ crucified, resurrected, the only way to have eternal life. Listen, if you're here today, and I don't care if you've been saved for a week or if you've been saved for 20 years, if you don't have your baptism on the right side of your salvation, don't wait so long like I did. I waited for five years. I was already a youth pastor on staff at a church, for crying out loud. And finally, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit stirred, and we were at a lake baptism, and I found myself walking into the waters and my pastor and my father-in-law looked at me and said are you here to help us I said no I need to be baptized I'm done making excuses I don't care what anybody thinks I want to be obedient I want to do what Jesus is calling me to do he bled and died for me I'm going to stand for him so I don't care how long you've been saved. If you have not passionately proclaimed Christ through believer's baptism, that is your next step of obedience. You see, it's simple obedience one day after another, one step after another, and we will follow Christ step by step, one step at a time, until he calls us home. Amen? So when I pray in a moment, and I want you to take all of your excuses and I want you to crumble them up and do this. And I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit and I just want you to obey. You see, our deepest convictions will be our loudest declarations. 
Whatever you are deeply convicted of, that is what will be the loudest proclamation and declaration in your life. So for the rest of us, listen, church family, the rest of us in this room, if you have experienced the hope of the resurrection, if you have the presence of the Holy Spirit, and you are certain of the gospel, then why are we not sharing it with others? If the hope of Jesus is the hope of the world, why are we so quiet and passive about it? This is what I've been convicted of most this week. I still find myself making excuses of, well, wasn't the right time. Man, I, I don't know what to say to that person. I did it just a few days ago when I'm writing this message. Going, God, I, I could have I shared the hope I have in Jesus with that person. I didn't. You see, God, you see, church, we are asking God to save 500 people. He's already saved over 110, 112 in the last 14, 15 weeks. But we are asking him to save over 400 more by next January, the one-year anniversary of the prayer. And here's what I know. If every single person in this room would start to live like Peter and John with courage and confidence, boldly proclaiming Christ crucified and resurrected, that he is our only hope, this church would not be able to contain it. This city would be forever changed by the power of the gospel if the people of God would actually get serious. And I'm preaching to myself right now. If we would actually get serious and let our lives speak louder than our words, that our lives would start to boldly proclaim everywhere that we go that there is no other way, that there is no other name by which man must be saved. It is Christ and Christ alone. He's the hope of the world. And if people perish without knowing him, they will spend forever separated from him. So we've got to take it serious. We've got to care more about the gospel than we do the latest Netflix series. We've got to care more about the gospel than we do whatever's trending on social media. We've got to take the gospel serious because people are lost and going to hell. And so I'm challenging you, church, and I'm challenging myself. Don't let another day go by where you don't stand up for Jesus and let everybody else know about it. Let me pray for you. Father, move in this place. Thank you for your word. God, we ask if there's anyone in this room who does not know you as Savior, that today would be the day that they surrender their hearts, surrender their lives to you. God, may they experience the hope of the resurrection. May you fill them with the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, that they would be new creations in Christ today. God, may they be certain when they walk out of this room of the gospel that you are the God who saves. God, I'm praying if there's anyone in this room that's making excuses about why they can't be baptized, that today would be the day that they throw all of their excuses out the window and that they follow you one step at a time with simple obedience. God, we ask you to move. Convict us deeply. May we be your mouthpieces. May we be your vessels. May we be bold witnesses who share the love of Christ with a desperate and dying world this week. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen.